Welcome to the Lot Carey Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcarey.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Let's join Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, Associate Dean for Vocational Formation and Christian Witness at Duke Divinity School and the Project Director for Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. We rejoice to be in conversation with Dr. A. Russell Aukert today. Dr. Aukert is the lead pastor at the New Zion Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Dr. Aukert, thank you for joining us on our podcast of Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. Dr. Goldie, I'm honored to share this time with you. And it just so happens that I think I was one of the participants in the inaugural gathering to discuss the potential of this striving and thriving initiative. Uh, Most of us are involved in striving and thriving as a lifelong ministry journey. Uh, This experiment or exercise helps us to identify and assess the resources we may sometimes take for granted. So from time to time, It's healthy to take stock of where our ministry is on the striving and thriving scale. Uh, For me, thriving means that I want to be the very best I can be in whatever season or situation I find myself. Well, thank you for reminding me about that uh, inaugural retreat we had. We uh, had... uh, about three generations of pastoral leaders when we gathered to imagine uh, what this journey uh, could look like. And uh, we built an experience to create what we called intellectual pilgrimages where we would gather for 48 hours. Uh, We also included international pilgrimages where we've been uh, to follow some of the paths of pastoral leaders who in the 1780s left with British loyalists and went to Canada or Jamaica so that they would uh, be safe from being re-enslaved. So I'm I'm glad you reminded me of our being a part of this journey uh, together. And on, on our journey with pastors, we've been thinking about flourishing and ministry 
one way we've been talking about it is in relationship to a tree or in comparison to a tree where sometimes there are buds on the limb. Sometimes there are leaves and blossom in full bloom. Sometimes the leaves are fading and then other times the leaves are gone, but the tree is still healthy. When you think about flourishing in ministry, are there any images or additional descriptors that come to your mind? I think that the use of the concept of the tree is very helpful. And it's one that I have sort of adopted, at least for our discussion. And uh, I recalled a poem um, that says only God can make a tree and some of the uh, insights from that poem, as well as the scriptural um, Psalm says, Psalm one says uh, that the person who walks with the Lord will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And so I appreciate very much uh, the parallels involved in this pursuit and this, dis this discussion. We've been talking about a formula for flourishing um, with both younger pastors who are millennials and zennials, and then with women pastors. And we've asked them to imagine situating themselves in this formula that holds that if a pastor's leadership capacity plus their service context yields their ministry content, there is a higher probability for flourishing. And we don't assume that one can drag and drop ministry models that a pastor sees somewhere else, but there, there's a relationship between capacity, context, and content. Could you talk to us about how your context of service as a pastor informs your content of ministry? Well, it could be that we think about context as that which comes or grows out of our choices. And yet their reality is often quite different. My experience is that sometimes the context is a combination of our personal dreams, goals, and aspirations, and coupled with the divine plan and calling for our lives. And the best outcome then is when the two, the choice and the calling merge. And through the years, I have always felt a yearning to contribute to what God wants for his people, both individually and corrupt, uh, corporately, whatever it is he wants us to be doing in order to meet the needs of the people in the church and in the community and to advance the witness and work of uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In most cases, the context opened up to me. Sometimes necessity was the mother of invention. And at other times it took courage to try 
and innovative approach or venture. Earlier in my ministry, my concept of context was the idea that I was placed to bring my vision and understanding to a new setting. Of course, visionary leadership is often expected with new leadership. We often learn, however, that changes may not be as easy as expected. And the context of the ministry, when I accepted and entered this pastorate 48 plus years ago, was somewhat predetermined. I say that because the first and only pastor had died after 44 years, and in the interim, a fire totally destroyed the sanctuary. So that affected necessarily the content of my ministry. Uh, my consideration as a prospect began before the fire, but by the time of my installation, the context had rearranged or redrawn the content. While you talk about the way you describe context, then it sounds like contexts can change, that they're not fixed, they're more fluid. And you pastor in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, on March 13th in 2020, um, Brianna Taylor was fatally shot in her home by police officers. One of the things that happened in the aftermath of that was daily demonstrations um, in, in calling for accountability and insisting on changes in policing. Uh, you are one of the pastors, one of the few pastors, as I understand, who has been very involved and present in those public demonstrations that has gone on, that went on daily for months and months. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that context of uh, police aggression, of demonstration uh, informed or impacted your ministry? Well, it was a, a very challenging time. You already cited the um, developments re revolving around the killing of Breonna Taylor by police action. And of course, out of that arose social protests. And that of course came in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. What was somewhat unexpected in both cases is that these issues stretched out for more than a year. Somewhere in the early stages, I felt the compulsion to get involved and to get our church involved. Little did I realize that this challenge would extend into every day and every night for almost a year. But from the very beginning, I accepted my ignorance regarding the best way to get involved. I did not make the first step with any presumptions of knowing what I should do or how I should do it. From the very beginning, I accepted my ignorance 
regarding the best way to get involved and then to see where that understanding or revelation would lead me. So I decided to follow the prophet Ezekiel's example. I kept hearing the words in my spirit saying, I sat where they sat. So without any further consultation with anyone, I dressed myself inconspicuously, I thought, and decided to go down and be among the people who were already there. Much to my surprise, first of all, I was immediately recognized by many of the people who were there. Even more surprising was the fact that there were a number of them who had been nurtured in our church and who had been baptized, they said, by me in earlier years. And of course, the good thing about that was that gave me some easier access to what was going on. And what started out as being perhaps the idea that I would go in and find out how I could provide leadership, I ended up deciding that perhaps the most effective way for me to serve in this issue was to go alongside them and to follow them and to be a resource for them. And so one of the things that I found was needed was supplies, food supplies. Um, there, were, there was a need for masks, even though they weren't always utilized and worn. But uh, I would go off and, and I would just ask them, what do you need? And uh, usually they would be glad to tell me and I would respond immediately. And so that built up a, a level of rapport. And um, unfortunately, although there were some ministers who were identified with the cause, there were not many who were regular uh, in showing up. As you know, we have a city square where the protests were centered and where the marches began and ended. Um, and so therefore, I thought it was even more important for me to be around, be present. And um, really, I learned a lot about the community, about the protesters. I found out how misrepresented they were day by day by the media and what were the issues. Um, they talk about in official circles, the civil unrest, um, that term has been used freely. Uh, of course, there are always some people who get out of, out of hand. Um, as I said to someone one day, I said, well, you know, that happens in the church. So it, it's something that um, is human, it's normal. But uh, the, the protesters, were peaceful. We could not have stayed there all summer and into the fall without them being peaceful. Um, they were harassed by the police many times, but they were always peaceful. So that um, I can't even remember, but maybe one incident where there was damage to a building. And that was um, one of those normal kinds of 
excesses out of born out of frustration. But uh, it wasn't downtown, it was way uptown. So uh, it was a learning experience for me. And um, so the context changed and the content changed while the context was changed. A word to our listeners, Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry initiative. We'll be right back with more from the interview. Since 1897, the Lot Carey Global Christian Missional Community has helped churches to extend the Christian witness around the world. We collaborate with indigenously-led communities to bear good and faithful witness to Christ Jesus through ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment, and advocacy in Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, Europe, North America, Oceania, and South America. Together, we are touching lives with transforming love. You too can help to extend the Christian witness throughout the world. Visit us at lotcary.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot O-R-G. Thanks for praying for and investing in the good news globally through word and deed. Welcome back to the Lot Carry Podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, the Learning Coordinator of Lot Carry's Thriving in Ministry Program. Each week in this podcast, my colleague, Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, interviews a prominent Black pastoral leader to gain insight for flourishing in ministry. Dr. A. Russell Ockert, you have used a couple of phrases that are not often utilized in terms of of pastoral leadership where you talked about accepting my ignorance and you talked about going to listen and learn and there are some people who talk about ministry flourishes when pastors uh, are casting the vision or uh, assertive leadership but you just described in this uh very critical way of pastoral presence a different posture can you say more about that is that something that you found unfamiliar or you found it particularly useful Uh, that's just not language that is popular Uh, these days around effective leadership? In my conversations with some of my friends, it seems to me that we bring to these issues and these developments uh, an attitude 
of authority, that we have the insight and the, the truth for this and every occasion. Um, it may be that because I did not assume that posture, that I assumed the posture of not knowing that I became more conditioned for learning by being open to what I found. It seems like the capacity to listen uh, to people who, among whom you serve, sounds like a capacity that you have cultivated or that was gifted to you. Um, and because uh, you and I know each other even beyond that time, I know that you had interesting opportunities to be around some uh, dynamic uh, paradigmatic leaders like Mordecai Johnson, who was a president of Howard University and like Earl Harrison, the legendary pastor of the Shiloh Baptist Church. Can you say a word about, an additional word about how listening to others helps expand a pastor's capacity? I think my listening predates going into the ministry. As I think about it, as a child even, I may have been described as a quiet one. And I had many opportunities to listen to people who were in my family, who were older and who shared experiences openly. And I learned to listen. Sometimes I learned to listen without even asking questions and certainly without taking notes, which I now regret uh, because of, in my family, for instance, many of the dynamics and relationships that I learned about, I have sort of lost because I did not record them. Uh, but beyond that, listening has been a way of learning. And I think I have carried that through Sometimes my demeanor doesn't suggest that I'm a good listener, um, but the truth of the matter is, I confess I would not have made it this far without the wisdom of those around me, both in terms of their direct uh, teaching or instruction, as well as their modeling of a way to serve and to minister. What brings you the most joy as a pastor? I think if I were going to speak in the presence of my pastor, I would have to say preaching the gospel uh, because preaching was always given to me as the central part of the gospel ministry. However, when I watched him, observed him, I discovered a seriousness and a pleasure with preaching that I hope I'm able to hold on to and maintain all of my preaching ministry. And one day we had a conversation about that. What was it 
that enabled pastors to be successful. And he gave me four or five different gifts and abilities that pastors could use to successfully pastor the churches. Um, in the conversational terms, he said, you know, some pastors do it by singing. Uh, some do it by administration. Some do it by uh, pastoring, uh, pastoral care. And so I decided to um, have a little fun that day. And I said, well, now, how would you assess your own? <laughs> and he's, in typical fashion, he said, well, when it comes to preaching, I've been able to hold my pulpit. He said, when it comes to pastoring, at least my members think I'm a good pastor. <laughs> and he went right down the list, but he never did get to singing because that was not something for which he was known. But what that conversation helped me to understand was that there were dimensions that could be developed to strengthen the ministry. And so in many, in many ways, I have taken all of those areas seriously and I have found fulfillment in them. And I have also enjoyed um, pursuing the ministry along those lines. And you'll be happy to know this, even when it comes to singing. What is the best advice that you received about pastoral leadership? And how has that made a difference in your life? Again, the best advice that I've received has been the modeling of my pastor and the modeling of the church in which I was licensed and ordained. But beyond that, let me share with you an experience. When I was faced with a decision in the second phase of our building uh, experience, which was ex the experience when we did some building to expand the church, came into the issue of some financial challenges, some budget issues. And I wanted, and I knew that I had to reduce some of our expenditures in order to make room for the obligations that this new uh, mortgage and other expenses would, would take on us. So I knew of a friend in Washington, D.C., who pastored the church. And at that time, he was one of the leaders of the Life Care Convention, Reverend R.G. Williams. And I knew him from our mutual relationship with Fredericksburg, Virginia, which was his hometown, my uh, first church. And um, I knew something about his style. So I wanted to talk to him about how I could make these decisions and move forward. And I engaged him to meet me at a convention. I knew we would both be there. I asked him if he would give me some of his time. And we were in Kansas City at the National Baptist Convention, 1986. And uh, he invited me to his room. Much to my surprise, there was another pastor there sharing the room with him was a local pastor out of Washington, D.C. And I began to tell him what my challenges were. 
knowing that I that he would give me some sage advice. And he did just as I thought he would do. He told me that I could go back home, that he knew the church, he knew me, and he knew that I could go back and whatever I recommended, the church would accept and on and on and on. Uh, the other minister who was sitting there with him didn't say anything until Williams asked him what he thought. And then he said, well, that's not the way I would approach it. He said, uh, I found out working with others can sometimes be quite helpful. So we had this lengthy discussion about how to incorporate the members of the church in the decision-making. And out of that conversation, I came home and I identified a cross-section of members, maybe eight or 10, who I knew the congregation trusted. But I also knew that they were loyal to me. So in the discussions, I would leave the issues with them. And invariably, they would make the decision I thought they should make. But I, would all, I was also able to carry back to the congregation the report of the budget committee, uh, which I was a consultant. And uh, after we finished that process, I realized that we had reduced tens of thousands of dollars from the budget, including some major uh, staff positions. And as far as I was concerned, I never heard a complaint, not even from the persons whose positions were shaved back. So from that point on, I decided that that might be a good way to work um, decision-making uh, in the congregation context. So as recently as the coming of the pandemic, I called together a task force. That task force ended up being a 19 member task force representing the leadership of the church from every area of the church's life and representing every generation in the church. And we have been meeting for a month We've only had one in-person meeting that was outdoors. The meetings have been on the Zoom calls and we've dealt with some very serious issues, but this committee or task force has made every major decision in, during the pandemic, even in place of some of the other decision makers uh, that would ordinarily be at the table or making those decisions, but their decisions have been well received. And only once again, only once did I have to um, assert a little more of my pastoral privilege because we were getting bogged down with the different perspectives. But that is the kind of um, advice I think I would pass on to the most vigorous and ambitious visionary leaders that you can have coming to a church to lead. And that is to respect others and to get the counsel of others. Um, I very rarely talk about any kind of uh, major issue in the church. Even if I don't convene the committee, a committee of any sort, 
without talking to someone in the church that I think knows more about it than I do. And invariably, they give me some insights that I don't, didn't know about. And uh, it helped me from stumbling over my own feet. And I think that's um, been one of the things that has been very helpful. Dr. A. Russell Aukert, the pastor of the New Zion Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you for spending this time in conversation about flourishing in ministry. And thank you for your many years of faithful leadership and mentoring of other pastors. Thank you very much, Dr. Goldlip. Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. Join us next week for a conversation with a new guest and fresh insights. Wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen online at lotcarry.org. Mm-hmm.